celebrating classics and creating new ones. Only on the Music Vibes Podcast. Now, here's your host, DC Hendrix. And welcome into the Music Vibes Podcast. I am your host, DC Hendrix. Go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, everywhere podcasts are available. Go ahead and make us one of your favorites by subscribing. Go ahead and leave us a review and let us know what you are thinking. We celebrate classics and create new ones. And I'm very excited for this week's episode as I get to talk about this fantastic new documentary slash concert extravaganza that I got to check out on Hulu. And it was produced by Questlove from The Roots. And this documentary is Summer of Soul. And it's talking about a festival that was in 1969. And no, we're not talking Woodstock. We're talking about a whole nother festival, Summer of Soul. So I'm going to be joined by two guests. And we're going to welcome the first one. Dan Epstein is joining us right now, freelancer, writes for Rolling Stone, amongst other platforms. He's been a guest on here before. We welcome him back with open arms. Dan, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me back, DC. Always a pleasure. Absolutely. So I'm trying to think back. Was it Curtis Mayfield, what we talked about the last time? Yeah, I think it was uh, it was Love of Curtis that uh, originally uh-huh. brought us together. That's right. And here we are again talking Summer of Soul. So, you know, I, I, I'm sure I introduced it average, but I'm sure you could do it a little bit better. Um, just kind of tell the audience exactly what we're talking about um, with this Summer of Soul documentary that's on Hulu right now. Yeah, it's it's a really, it's an incredible music doc. I mean, you know, I think the last decade or so has really, you know, produced a glut of uh, music documentaries. Some of them really worthwhile. Some of them just kind of, you know, don't add a whole lot to the uh, to the genre. But I really feel like this is, you know, this is one of the greatest uh, live concert documentaries uh, ever made. And uh, uh, it, it, it uh, basically presents uh, footage from the 1969 Harlem Cultural Festival, which was a, a weekly series of concerts that were put on uh, in in uh, Harlem in uh, in the summer of '69, and uh, featured a really wide array of performers. Everybody from you know the Edwin Hawkins singers to the Staple singers to Sly and the Family Stone and. Uh, uh, um, uh, Nina Simone and the uh, it, it it sets the f- the footage of the performance within a broader cultural context. You know, to, both uh, you know what was happening uh, in Harlem in 1969 and what was happening in the United States in 1969, and you know how that kind of you know uh, you know summer '69. That's when the U.S. put a man on the moon for the first time and you know, kind of contrast that with what uh, day-to-day life in Harlem was like and, and, and how, how basically irrelevant uh, what, uh, you know, was happening, how, how irrelevant the uh, U.S. space program was to the people of Harlem who, uh, you know, were, were really a lot more concerned with, uh, you know, getting through the day-to-day than uh, whether or not, you know, we were the first uh, country to plant a flag, uh, you know, on this uh, distant rock. Yeah, I know. Uh, watching the documentary, people were like, "Look, there's poor people here. That money could be used for us right here in the community." Yeah, absolutely. And and you know, and and then of course that's still you know so much of you know not just that issue, but so much of the other things talked about in this documentary still really resonate. Uh, you know, so fifty plus years later. 
Yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately so. Um, we were hoping that more things would change as so many years have passed. But, you know, and this concert definitely happens in a pivotal time, you know, and specifically but black culture, you know, recently losing, um, I mean, Martin Luther King the year prior um, and then Malcolm X just a few years before that. Um, do right. you, you know, so obviously touching on that a little bit for black people, you know, you have Woodstock that was, you know, more for the hippie culture. But the Summer of Soul was more for, you know, the the black people in terms of, you know, kind of bringing an awareness to all the all the issues, the black activists that we're losing and uh, kind of highlighting black America a little bit. Am I correct? You are. But I think there's also an element of, you know, that this this festival was put on in Harlem as a way to try, you know, it's kind of like a pressure valve. Like there is all there are a lot of concerns that, you know, after all the riots of 68, Mm-hmm. That 69 would be even worse uh, in, in, you know, especially in urban centers. And so this was kind of put on as a way to entertain, distract uh, and, you know, and, and also bring people together in, you know, in the community in a way that, you know, was not uh, uh, incendiary or violent. And, uh, you know, and, and I think it, it definitely served that purpose. Um, you know, while at the same time uh, bringing, you know, additional awareness to, you know, these issues and and also to the music of the performers. I think, you know, that one of the more moving parts of the film, I mean, that there are so many moving parts of the film. I, I, I've seen it twice and both times, you know, spent, spent large portions <laughs> of it, you know, it, 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 if not tears uh, with with tears forming in my eyes and you know, one of the more moving parts is is watching um, Marilyn McCoo and Billy Davis Jr. of the Fifth Dimension watching themselves. You know, you know, them film being filmed now, mm-hmm. watching themselves at the uh, Harlem Cultural Festival in '69, and just like and and talking about like what it meant to them to play um, before these you know this this huge crowd in Harlem because. You know, they were considered very much a kind of um, mainstream pop group, um, you know, who, who in a lot of ways appealed more to whites than to blacks. And so to be able to f- perform in front of an audience that was, you know, 99 percent uh, people of color, at least 99 percent, and to be so well received by them and to, to just really connect with them. I mean, it's a very powerful thing, and it clearly still really moves them to this day to, you know, think about that and think about, you know, finally having a chance to, uh, you know, really connect with their own people, um, you know, and, and, you know, and their performance is, in fact, you know, at the, uh, the that we see at the Harlem Cultural Festival is definitely rawer and edgier than you know, what their records or their TV appearances of the time, uh, you know, would have led most people to believe. Yeah. And obviously digging into Summer of Soul. So the reason I brought you on and was excited to bring you on, well, obviously, once again, just to catch up. But I seen um, on July 4th, you made the post said that you knew you would dig Summer of Soul. So as you watched it, what was your first initial reaction as you first start, um, you know, first get into the documentary Summer of Soul? What was your first initial reaction when you first started the film? Well, I, I was really just, you know, so drawn in. I mean, it, it, it's such a, 
I, I guess it was kind of overwhelmed. I mean, it's it's such an incredible collection of performers, but on top of you know, and the and the performances are all first rate. But beyond that, there's just this sense of immersion in you know in a world that you know having been you know uh, born in New York City in 1966, but you know being uh, being white and moving to Ann Arbor, Michigan, when I was like a one and a half, like I miss this world completely, you know, just this, this, you know, beautiful Afrocentric world with, you know, all these, all these people wearing these incredible clothes and just really, you know, kind of understanding or maybe starting to understand on a deeper level, like, you know, their own history and their own, you know, and the powerful, you know, the power of their culture and the, the, the power of, of, of togetherness. And, you know, and, and obviously like, you know, it wasn't like this festival was what introduced them to all these ideas, but you just see all of the, these ideas in full effect at this festival. And it's so beautiful and it's so powerful and it's so inspiring to see. And then of course, as you watch the documentary, it's also so frustrating and infuriating to see that, like, you know, this was kind of forgotten and this this moment was sort of discarded and people just kind of moved on from it. And and, you know, when there are so many amazing uh, lessons that both the audience and performers could have taken from this and perhaps did not. Um, and, and, and then, you know, of course you get into the issue of like this footage being kind of forgotten for such a long period of time and not, you know, and, and whereas Woodstock, which happened, you know, around the same time, a hundred miles north of Harlem, you know, has been for 50 years, you know, people keep going back to it and celebrating it. And it's, you know, this totem of this, you know, um, you know, great moment in popular culture. And, and I watch, you know, Summer of Soul, and I'm way more moved <laughs> by what I see in Summer of Soul than what I see in the Woodstock documentary. I'm a huge Woodstock fan as well. Um, but I got to agree, I was a little bit more inspired and a little bit more moved by this documentary, you know, especially, you know, admittedly being a black man myself, and just kind of seeing, you know, how everyone came together you know, for this, you know, great festival. And then you mentioned some of the acts earlier that were involved, uh, Staples Singer, um, you got Sly and the Family Stone, you got Stevie Wonder, um, you got Nina Simone, you even got David Ruffin when he's not with the Temptations anymore. This is solo David Ruffin pretty freshly too, because he left the group in 68. So this wasn't too far removed. I guess such a trip seeing David Ruffin because, you know, I, I, you know, didn't really think about like how he would present himself as a performer in this time. And, mm-hmm. you know, he really was kind of like, you know, in in this sequence that we see in the film, he is kind of like the, the lone temptation. Uh, you know, he's still got the threads, he's still got the moves, but he's out there doing it by himself, but he's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's, 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 you know, and the way he works the crowd, it's just like, yeah, it's 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 a stunning stunning performance. So I was blown away personally by Sly and the Family Stone. 
So I growing up, I always knew about them, but I admittedly there, I got a record. I got their greatest hits, but outside of that, I really have never gotten the chance to see them live. And I was blown away by their performance. Sliding the family stone for me was the most electrifying performance from the documentary. So for you, after watching this, what were some performances that moved you and why? Well, well, Sly, Sly's performance, definitely. You know, I wasn't so surprised because I've been, you know, watching, uh, I mean, I'm a huge Sly fan and I've been watching, you know, performance footage of him for decades. So, you know, I, I knew what what they could bring to the table, what they could bring to the stage. And, you know, but but it's it's awesome that this is turning people, more people on to, to their legacy. You know, I, I think there, you know, people my age who, you know, or older are like, well, what do you mean people don't know how great Sly was? So it's like, well, you know, that's it's one of those things that, that gets lost over time. And this mm-hmm. is why we need films like Summer of Soul to kind of, remind people uh or or re reintroduce uh the magic of sly and the family stone and and stevie wonder and all these other people uh you know to to, to younger generations uh but yeah the stevie performance is incredible watching him get down on the drums uh uh again a lot of people don't know that he was an amazing not just <laughs> not just keys but then like that that clavinet solo that he does uh in uh uh was it shooby do da day uh that that he's he's performing i mean that's it's just mind-blowing to you know watch those fingers in action up close like that um you know nina simone's performance is just uh, you know uh just jaw dropping and and just the you know the intensity but also the humanity that she, that she brings to to it and uh um you know again the fifth dimension uh staple singers that that segment with uh Mavis Staples and Mahalia Jackson you know <laughs> singing together i mean that's just like uh i i remember you know the second time i saw the film i i uh, had to take a bathroom break but like i didn't it, i didn't want to leave until uh the, the theater until after uh mavis and mahalia were done both because it was just so incredible and because i didn't want to disturb anyone else's experience uh who, who was who was watching that um yeah, I mean, I, I would I would say those are all uh, you know the major ones for me, but but really, like there was no weak spots. You know, everybody, you know, even the comedians, uh, you know, who only get a little bit of time, or um, um, oh, um, basically, oh, Herbie Mann. You know, there's a little bit of uh, you know he was he was a white Jewish jazz fl- flautist, uh, but he had just incredible band. I think. Is it Roy Ayers who's on vibes for him? And, and uh, Sonny Chirac is on guitar. I mean, like just to see them live was was kind of a revelation. And, 
Yeah, I mean, like I'm sure. I mean, I've seen it twice. I'm sure I'm going to go back to it again because, you know, the first time you're just taking in all the performances, and then the you know second time through, you're really starting to pay more attention to the people in the audience and their reactions, and and um, and then like the camera angles and and how how beautifully um, um, uh, what was his name who who shot this. Uh, um, uh, uh, Tolchin, um, forgetting his first name, but but him and his crew mm-hmm. just did did you know such an incredible Hal Tolchin, uh, how how incredibly he what an incredible job Hal Tolchin and his crew did of capturing this, and you know they really and you know and and that's so much a part of this too. I mean, there's there you can find great footage of so many of these acts on YouTube, but you know the the it's not always with really sympathetic camera work or maybe it's a fixed camera or something like that. But like the, these, uh, these camera guys were really like getting in there and like understood the dynamics of the music, understood the personalities that they were shooting. And I think that that's part of what makes this documentary so incredible. Yeah, and I'm super jealous you got to see it in theaters. That would have been a whole nother experience, as it wasn't a, wasn't available in my area. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. It's it's yeah. I was actually surprised. I mean, we we had to drive to Winston Salem, which is about a half hour from where I live, mm-hmm. uh, to to catch it in the theater. But you know, it it's I'm I was kind of surprised that you know it it was actually in theaters out here. Now that you watched it in its entirety two times now, so what's your summary and your pitch to people why they should watch it? Well, I think it's one of the great music documentaries of all time, especially, wow. you know, I mean, you know, we've talked about, you know, or, or we, we talk about the Woodstock documentary. We talk about uh, the Monterey Pop documentary. Um, you know, those are two, two classics uh from you know that late 60s era and i think this joins them and may even uh may even be a little better because with the you know the experience of you know with the passage of time and the perspective like we understand a little more uh what was you know the context of of what this uh all, all this music was was happening in and uh so I, yeah, I think it's just such a valuable document, both uh, musically and uh, historically. Absolutely, yes. We're going to be joined by Stuart Cosgrove, who I know is ingrained into you know a lot of the soul music, and of course, the author of the Soul Trilogy: Detroit '67, Memphis '68, and Harlem '69. So we'll be welcoming him in just a few moments as well to dig a little bit deeper. But of course. Dan, as always, I am not bringing you on without promoting your work. I know you do a lot for <laughs> Flood Magazine. I know you do some stuff for Rolling Stone. So what's what's Dan got up his sleeve these days? Well, um, I'm currently uh, um, I'm promoting a, a, my latest book, which is called The Captain and Me, On and Off the Field with Thurman Munson, which is a baseball book uh, ah. that I wrote with, with Ron Bloomberg, who is uh, a teammate of Thurman Munson on the 1970s Yankees. But there's actually a lot of music uh, that's part of it because they were best friends with Nat Tarnapol, who was the head of Brunswick Records, which was a big uh, soul and R&B label uh, in the 1960s and 70s. And uh, via Nat, they rubbed shoulders with all these musicians, uh, you know, hanging out with the Shy Lights and, 
going up to uh, going up to the Apollo in Harlem to to catch all of Nat's acts and uh, and uh, and Ron was a big soul music guy from way back. He grew up in Georgia and you know used to go see James Brown and uh, um, Otis Redding when he was a teen. And he kind of and Thurman was more of like a roots rock kind of guy, real into Creedence Clearwater Revival and Doobie Brothers and stuff like that. And so uh, uh, between Nat and Ron, uh, they really kind of worked on Thurman and got him into uh, soul and R&B. So, uh, so that's kind of a cool part of the story. Um, and also, yeah, I'm, I've been doing a lot of stuff for Flood Magazine lately. Um, got a piece, uh, just went up today about uh, Bobby Gillespie and Jenny Beth's uh, new album collaboration. And, uh, you know, always, uh, always uh, trying to uh, spread my wings and do new things. And, um, you know, whether it's baseball or music or pop culture in general i'm always uh, interested and always uh looking for new cool stuff to write about and you do fantastic work and i'm a big baseball guy myself so um i'm always down to check out a baseball book and i see you up here i think you appeared on a podcast too baseball and music we should we definitely share that interest dan and as always really appreciate you coming on as always great stuff Oh, man, I really appreciate your support, DC, and, uh, and you know, love your podcast and uh, keep, keep doing all, all uh, your good work. Time Travel with DC Hendricks on the Music Vibes podcast. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify on your mobile device. Podcasts by Federated Media.